Hello, and welcome to the Lancet Digital Health Podcast. I'm Diana Samuel, the Senior Editor of the Journal. Today, we are going to be talking about a new study published in the journal, which evaluates a novel machine learning-based prognostic model for prediction of 10-year mortality from non-metastatic prostate cancer. The model, based on an approach termed survival quilts, was developed using data from the Surveillance, Epidemiology and End Results Program, or SEER for short, and compared to nine other prognostic models that are currently used in the clinic. Joining me now to discuss this further are two authors of the paper, Mahela van der Schaar and Vincent Niana Pragasam, both primarily based at the University of Cambridge. Mahela is a professor of machine learning, artificial intelligence, and medicine, and Vincent is both a reader in urology and a consultant urologist specializing in prostate cancer. So just kind of going back to the start, can you give us a bit of background on this particular study and what perhaps was your inspiration for starting it and what clinical problem were you hoping to address? Prostate cancer is extremely common, as we all know, and the numbers are increasing. And it's a funny disease because on the one hand, we know that it kills many, many men. But on the other hand, we also know that many men will have it and live with it and may not even know about it. So trying to decide if you find a prostate cancer, whether you need to treat it or not, is actually quite a complex problem. For for many years, the mantra has been, if you find a prostate cancer, you must treat it. But multiple studies have shown that actually survival may not be different from doing nothing to even doing something as radical as surgery. So the question that we had in our group was really, how do you make that difference? And how do you actually find out which of the men would benefit and which would not? And of course, this is not new. There's been many, many, many pieces of work around that, but they tended to be fairly small ad hoc with rather poor endpoints. And most importantly, very few of these things were being used as a standard approach. And even now, every country has its own particular set of guidelines, rules, and ultimately the final arbitrator is who the clinician is when they see a patient and how they convey that information. So our primary interest driving the development of new prognostic tools was not only how do you bring together all the known variables, but also how do you transmit that into a way that a clinician and a patient can understand and how that information can be given in a standardized way. So it doesn't really matter where a man is diagnosed in the world, potentially, they will get the same information and same guidance. So that was the underpinning reason for looking at this. And there are different ways of doing it. One of them is tiered, which means you put people into brackets or groups and you look at how the groups perform. But of particular interest to us was how you get it to a personalized level and how do we actually use this new emerging science of artificial intelligence and machine learning to the application. And that's where we came from it, from from our angle. Fantastic. Uh, So delving into the method, Mahela, can you tell us a bit about how the survival quilts-based model was developed? Survival quilts is a machine learning method that we have developed two years ago, and it appeared in um, AI Stats 2019, which is one of our main conferences in artificial intelligence and machine learning. We know that there are numerous survival models, and a key question is how to select among these numerous survival models for a particular data set, such as the SEER data set. And survival quilts is the first automated machine learning method that is able to do so for survival analysis and is learning on the basis of the underlying data how to weigh the different variables to achieve the best trade-off between discriminative performance 
and calibration. This is important because the usefulness of a survival model should be assessed both by how well the model discriminates among predictive risks and by well is calibrated. And while it's important to correctly discriminate and prioritize patients on the basis of risk, the risk prediction of a model needs also to be well calibrated in order to be really valuable and provide prognostic value to clinicians. So survival quilts is able to learn on the basis of whatever data is available, the best model is learning the best model and the best model across the different horizons of survival analysis. What is the best integration of the variables and how the variables interact in order to issue a personalized prediction for survival. So it is learning personalized predictions and how to best combine these different existing models to issue this particular prediction for the patient at hand. That's so interesting. And what were the key findings then of this study? Well, the first thing to say is that to our knowledge, it's the first application of the machine learning algorithm and artificial intelligence method to such a big data set to answer this question. And one of the key things that we knew, the survival quilts model, like other machine models, can actually take new information and process it very quickly. And it took us many years to develop our previous models, but I think working with Chang He, uh, one of your students, Mihela, we were able to produce this model very rapidly because the technique was already there. And even in this first iteration where we had fairly standard variables, I was amazed to find that the uh, survival quilts model was able to come up with a performance characteristic, uh, which was as good as the best that we had from a clinical standpoint, and actually a little bit better as well. So that is, to me, an illustration that the direction of travel for what we do in future has to be using this kind of technology. That's a great summary. So you'd mentioned in the paper that the, the SEER data set doesn't include data on comorbidity, prostate MRI, nor treatment, although potentially these could improve the prognostic capabilities of the model. So how easy would it be to incorporate these variables in the future? And what effect do you think that could have on the model output? One advantage of survival quilts is that it's an automated machine learning method. It is able to take whatever data we throw at it and craft a model with good discriminative and calibration performance. So it is very easy at the push of a button if this data becomes available to integrate additional variables into the model to issue this prediction. So in terms of building a new model on the basis of new variables, that is, I think, very easy. What is important about these methods, such as survival quilts, is that not only we are able to assess the advantage and the value of what I call the value of modeling, identifying which methods are best for what type of data and what type of patients, but also the value of information. So we are going to learn in a data-driven way on the basis of the data what variables are important and for what type of prediction and for what type of patient or subclass of patient. So I think that it will be really very interesting to throw at this model a lot more variables to identify their importance and how these variables should be combined in order to improve the predictive performance for a particular class of patients. But that being said, it is important to work with clinicians such as Vincent because one needs to interpret 
the predictions and the information that we discover on the basis of this automated machine learning model, such that we really understand both the quality of the predictions and also whether this is indeed actionable. Just to add in, if I may, Mihail is absolutely correct, and this is where the real excitement comes. But the other key thing is what data do you have that is available to be able to put into the models? And as you point out, Diana, there were a lot of missing pieces in the SEER database. Now, other data sets in other countries do have them, and we have used them in the past for other models. But there's also all kinds of ideas about what might be important, what is not important. And being able to put them in or take them out to see how they affect model performance is actually really important. At the moment, different clinicians in different places will have different importance of variables, whether proven or not. So the quality of the data, like all things, you know, what you put in is what you get out, is also really crucial. And then next, of course, is how many of these variables are interdependent on another variable and therefore truly not independent. And Mihela mentions the most crucial thing is we can do all of this, but how do we get that out in a way that a clinician can use in the clinic? That's really interesting. And also it touches a bit on generalizability um, because there are variables that are referred to as standard clinico-pathological variables that were included here. But are they available as standard globally? And I'm, I'm thinking specifically here of one of the input variables, um, prostate-specific antigen or, or PSA, because you highlighted in the paper that the SEER data set represents a population predominantly screened for PSA. But is that the case elsewhere? The answer is no, but you're absolutely correct that actually some of these variables can be variable in themselves, depending on where you get them from. Not so much PSA, which tends to be a fairly straightforward test, but for example, in a pathology report from a biopsy, in different countries, even in different units, in different hospitals, they will report different aspects and how they report it and what they call something as, as this or that can be actually very variable. So trying to find common denominators is actually quite crucial for generalizability. But one of the key things and the reason for multiple validations of, of models is exactly to address what you've just illustrated. And to give you an example of this, um, we haven't done this, of course, for survival quilts yet, but the PREDICT prostate model, which was one of the comparators, had actually been developed in a UK data set. And we were then able to show in other publications that it actually worked really well in a cohort from Singapore and also from Sweden. So if you then add to it what actually we've done here, which is a byproduct of this work, is tested in SEER. And in all of these studies, the performance is pretty similar. I think that those models actually do have validity across the board. And I'm sure that survival quilts model that we've created here will also do the same thing. Uh, but it, it still remains a complex situation as to actually finding variables uh, which are common and commonly reported across multiple sites, countries and regions. That's really interesting. And actually, I'm glad you raised the previous study on, on the PREDICT prostate model, the fact that that was validated in different cohorts, because actually here you do stratify your results by ethnicity as well as age. Can you just explain why in this clinical context it's important to do those kinds of analyses? Mainly because the understanding of how age, ethnicity and other demographics influence performances of models is actually quite a contentious area. Uh, and for many years, it was assumed that uh, if a black man or African-American had prostate cancer, he would tend to do worse than uh, somebody of another race. Uh, and as an illustration of how that comes down to 
perhaps a, an interpretation of the data which is not entirely correct, recent studies have shown that if you match race by stage, grade, and, and other variables, they actually do just the same. It's just that where you detect the disease on the pathway may be different for different races. So in the same way, there is this idea that you know, men of a certain race may do better than another race or worse than another race. And it was important that in this study, because we had the opportunity because to capture so many different ethnicities, that we were able to demonstrate that actually it worked equally well across the board. And similarly with variables such as age as well. That's really interesting. So obviously here, the focus is on prostate cancer, but can you envisage this approach potentially being applied to other cancers? at least from the point of view of machine learning and the machine learning model, the beauty of survival quilts is that is a machine learning method that can be easily applied at the push of a button to craft scores for survival analysis in new data sets. Of course, Vincent would need to comment as to what data sets may be ready to apply this model on. And I think what's especially interesting is settings where maybe the cancers are less common, because in that case, we may need to aggregate and do this analysis across data sets from possibly different countries and deal with the challenges associated with that. That's interesting. Yeah, it's nice to hear how how broadly applicable this approach can be. So kind of going full circle a little bit here, um, particularly coming back to the points you both made about this bringing us a bit more closer to a more personalized approach to clinical decision making for prostate cancer. How do you envision this survival quilts based model being integrated into the clinical workflow? And can you highlight any barriers that would need to be overcome first? So this is a a very interesting question, because in a way, survival quilts and the algorithms behind predict prostate or MSK, they are like the engines They are what makes something work. But of course, in terms of using it in a clinic or for a patient, then you need a front part. You need the dressing. You need the look of the car, if you like. Uh, And that is actually quite an interesting challenge. For example, with predict prostate, the key reason that it's used quite a lot is because it has a very clear functional web interface, which you can then put in the variables in a simple to understand format, which then delivers that output. So in the same way, I would imagine that we could do the same thing where a model like Survival Quilts is working behind the scenes on a web interface where you put in your variables and it projects the data in a way that can be understood by a patient and clinician. The other very interesting thing is to consider whether or not, because you know, with AI algorithms, uh, machine learning algorithms, you can update that predicted information as you go, that you can actually, you say if you're monitoring someone, if there's new information that comes to light, you put that in and that might change your prediction. So it's a much more dynamic, iterative type of model. But the pathway to take something which is where we are now with an algorithm and a model and a mathematical system which works to an interface which patients and clinicians can use, we have already developed to our previous models. And I'm very confident we can do the same with something like this. And also, crucially, it can be used in any country, in any part of the world, by clinicians and by patients. That's really cool. I've not heard a car analogy for an algorithm before, so that's quite interesting (laughs) to know how to package it. Um, So I'm all about balance, which means as well as looking at the the pros of the study, can you highlight uh, any particular limitations in what impact they might have? So 
For instance, let's assume that current methods are not very good in terms of survival analysis and someone develops a new AI-based or statistics-based method. We can easily incorporate that into survival quilts. So this sounds like a benefit rather than a limitation, but what I mean there is that as limitations are identified and new methods and methodologies are developed, an advantage of survival quilts is that it can use these base layer models and select among them as well. So right now we select among six base layer survival models, but one can easily go and include another one if there are limitations associated with the current methods. So I feel that that is actually very good. And what's good about this survival quilts model is that is open source, it is publicly available, so everybody can take a look at it and potentially extend it to address limitations they may face. Fantastic. Just to finish off then, what questions do you feel remain unanswered and what do you think the priority should be for future research in this area? So if we're talking specifically around prostate cancer prognostics, this goes back to some of the limitations of the current work as well, Diana, is that right now uh, there are, as you can see, lots of different models being used by lots of different people. In some ways, we already have really good models. For example, the performance characteristics of the survival quilts predict MSK are all in the region of 80% accuracy or more. But the problem is that they're not used and they're not endorsed by many guidelines. And until that happens, then in many ways, you can develop the nicest thing in the world, but people will don't adopt. So going back to this car analogy, it could be the nicest, best car in the world, but if people don't buy it and use it, then it's not actually going to go anywhere. So one of the biggest challenges is actually to try and get better adoption of standardized models like this to actually apply. And to do that, we need much more validity and and data in terms of validation, which of course we can do, but also we need guideline committees and national bodies to look into this area because there are huge discrepancies in the care of patients when we don't use standardized systems. So our paper is is a step change in, in how we can do this, but to really make a difference and to take this to its total fruition is actually to start to get dialogue started with with leading bodies to adopt these things. And I'd also like to say that in terms of future research, I also believe that what would be useful and machine learning methods are now being developed and validated is to look at better screening methods that are empowered by machine learning. So for instance, do personalized screening, identify which subclasses of patients should be monitored and possibly how often and when. Also looking at the role of machine learning to enable clinicians to identify what type of treatments are best for a particular patient. So definitely in prostate cancer at times, a variety of options exist. So machine learning is very good to go beyond prediction and prediction models to do causal analysis and uh, do counterfactual estimation and ask what if questions, what would happen to this patient if at a particular moment in time would be treated in one way or another, should we postpone a particular treatment and when deciding to treat, how to treat. And doing such counterfactual analysis and scenario planning can be done using cutting-edge machine learning methods. And finally, identifying trajectories of disease and temporal phenotyping using machine learning. I think it's another area that hopefully can complement the study that we described today. 
Absolutely agree, Mihela. I think there's, you know, with data available, all of these things are going to be of incredible use, actually. Uh, and uh, particularly interested myself, as you know, in this idea of the temporal phenotyping for those men who are diagnosed with cancer but choose to monitor rather than treat and how we actually work out how they're progressing or not progressing. Brilliant. I'd like to say a big thank you to both of you for joining me today, particularly for your, your excellent summation of the study and for the really fruitful discussions on prostate cancer prognostics, but also for highlighting the benefits of collaboration between diverse expertise such as your own, which is really exemplified, I think, in, in this study. So thank you so much for your time. No, thank you, Diana. You can read Mahela and Vincent's paper online now at the Lancet Digital Health. Thank you for listening.